Hey guys, before we get started, um, I just want to warn you that this episode contains a lot of talk about sexual assault, especially childhood sexual assault. There's also talk of self-harm, including suicide, uh, domestic violence, um, drug abuse, uh, racism. So these are all, you know, not so soft topics. And if any of them will make this a hard listen for you, go ahead and skip this episode and I'll see you in the next one. Hey guys, Princess here, and welcome to another episode of By Pumpkin. Um, hey guys, it is Saturday night, late on Saturday night. It's time to record this episode. If I was smart, I would have done it during the week, but you know what? I ain't never fucking clean to be smart. So I had to stop living my life and go record a podcast episode. What did I stop doing? First thing I stopped doing was eating these, um... Milk chocolate and macadamia toffee wafers from Favorite Day, which is a um, a Target brand of snacks. Uh, bitch, they good. They're like, I don't know how to describe them. They're like crisps, but they have toffee and chocolate and nuts on. They're very fucking good. And uh, I don't want to turn this back around to see what's going on with the nutrition side of it. Because, uh... That ain't none of my business, all right? My business is how it tastes and how I go to Target and I get all of them off the aisle. I'm like that. Once I like something, I fixate on it and I fix on it for a while. One point I was eating these Yoplait cherry yogurts. Baby. I mean, I was eating the fuck out of them. Like, I would go to the store and I would get all of them. My husband knew that. Like, I was, like this. that was my shit at the time. And I just remember this one time. <laughs> This old lady was trying to get some yogurts, and my husband was like, "Excuse me," and she she was short, and he leaned over. My husband's pretty tall. She le- he leaned over her and got all of them in his arms. Is like, "I got him, baby," and put him in the car. And our lady was looking at him like, "Bitch," I was like, "Get her a couple of them yogurts, man." She looked mad. Yeah, so I stopped eating that because y'all don't want to fucking hear me eat on um the mic. Um. I also today, you know, today just is the end of my vacation. Um, I am heading back to work on Monday and heading back to this podcast tonight. But, um, you know, I just had a lot of stuff to do today and um, I ended up going, well, I had a nervous fucking breakdown over uh, disposable plastic uh, containers this morning. You know, living with somebody who is neurodivergent is not always easy, right? But the tr- why am I even saying that? Like, who is it neurodivergent? Who really is it? Me too, all right? But living with someone who sees the, who whose brain works differently than mine does is all is not easy. And I've been living with this man like we've been together 16 years and we've been married 15 years. It'll be 16 really soon. But um Like, in all that time, we've got these workarounds for the way his brain works. And one of the things that, like, really fucking bothers me is that the way he groups objects together. And he groups objects on where his... I almost said faulty brain, but he doesn't have a faulty brain. It's just his brain. So I don't want to say that. What I mean is that, like, okay, so he wants to put disposable 
plastic containers, things he puts his lunches in and takes to work. And then I put my lunches and take to work. Um, he wants to put them in with the plates, like the actual reusable plates that we use every day. And the reason he does that is because he says after he makes his lunch or after he makes a dinner and puts aside things for lunch, he always thinks he should put it on a plate. But then when he goes over to the plate, he realizes he's going to take it to lunch. So he doesn't need a plate. He needs a to-go container. And then it could do, the to-go container could be right there. I don't want them there. I want them in the pantry with all the other paper and plastic products, disposable products. Like we have some spoons, um, napkins, we have things like uh, aluminum foil and like just various things and like Ziploc bags. These are all in the same area and grouped together, but then grouped with the things. So all the Ziploc bags are right here and they're lined up according to, and then, you know, that's where I want it. And the reason I want it there is because that's where it belongs. That it's with all the other things that are just like it. And... I just had a meltdown today because I adjust, 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 adjust all the time. I accommodate. And it's not just with him, the kids too. Like, I often say, how do we get this done? How, the best place to put this is where it's going to be used. And I, and I make that, and I do workarounds all the time. But it also requires me to remember the workaround. And also to say, like, this thing is not where it makes sense for it to be for me, it's always where it makes sense for somebody else to be. And then I have to stretch and I have to accommodate. And I, and like today I was just done with it to the point that I threw those bitches away. I was like, I don't want them in my house. I will die before I put them in there again. And like, yeah, I was overreacting, obviously. I was also hungry. But the feelings I was feeling were just amplifications of a real fucking feeling I feel in that, like, I am always accommodating other people because I have the ability to pivot and not everybody else does. But just because I have the ability to pivot doesn't mean I'm always the person that should pivot. And like I always say about my husband, when I, like, listen, I'm never, ever, ever going on a date again without bringing an organization test when I get there. Like, I'm going to be like, here's a picture of a, of a dirty, of a messy pantry. What would you do to fix this? Because I'm not fucking anybody who doesn't know how to organize a pantry again. I'm not doing it. When I was in my 20s, well, listen, listen, I was in these streets. I liked it in these streets too. I, I did fine in these streets, but, and I'm not going to sit there and get to know like, what was your first pet dog's name and all your childhood traumas and all your favorite colors before I have sex with you? That is boring. I, I got to get all this information before I decide if our, if our, uh, no, no parts mesh together. Well, no, 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 no. But I'm older now. Okay. I'm an old lady now. And before I will let you all up in these guts, you <laughs> come get me <laughs> before I am moving forward I need to know your policy on socks matching socks where the socks go do you need a bunch of different socks that we didn't need to spend a million years matching what how much labor are you willing to put into this how much labor do you expect from me um have you heard that you could order 
uh, all the same socks off of Amazon and then all your socks will always match all the time. Have you thought about that? And then it just like, I, I want to have these conversations because I am not starting another motherfucking thing with a person like Mr. Curtis. I love Mr. Curtis, me and Mr. Curtis, you know, I am happy that we continue to choose each other. Next week, we may choose something else. I can't promise you how long me and Mr. Curtis are going to be together. We might be together for the rest of our fucking lives. We might break up today. Who fucking knows? All I know is that I am very authentic in the fact that I am choosing him. He is choosing me. And that we are each free to choose something else whenever the fuck we ready. Okay? And so, my friends hate when I say shit like this. Because I'm like, no, you guys can't. Yeah, we could. Yeah, we could. What do you mean we couldn't? Who the fuck knows what's going to happen? If you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. Okay? Um, so I'm, I'm, I continue to choose him for many, many reasons. He is not the sum of his organizational skills. But I do want to know why when it's time to organize the, the, the art supplies, he is like, well, I'm going to put all the brown crayons and the brown markers and the brown, um, color pencils together so that when you need to use brown you have these variety baby what the fuck are you talking about get away from us go somewhere else with that all the color pencils need to be together all the crayons need to be <laughs> he's not wrong well he is wrong because i'm right but <laughs> he's I, <laughs> so we had that this morning it's fine i ate some food i feel better no do not bring um, a plastic to go container in my home ever again. Um, what else did we do? You know, this week we both been off. So we went to eat. I posted a picture on Instagram. We went to Papa Do's cause I wanted shrimp and grits and bitch, they were fucking good. They brought my husband a trough of gumbo <laughs> and we just had like, the shit was good. We had a great time there. I've been continuing my desperate housewives, um, rewatch. So guys, did I, we're calling a rewatch, quote unquote rewatch. But here's the thing. I don't remember when I stopped watching Desperate Housewives. Probably when that plane fell on them. Because, you know, somebody get murdered every three, three days on Wisteria Lane. Uh, a plane falls on them. There's a fucking tornado. Somebody dies in a house fire. The street is bad luck. Y'all need to leave. But, you know, I did love the show. So, and Mr. Curtis has never seen the show. Mr. Curtis doesn't really watch TV. What he does is he waits until I watch TV and he sits next to me and goes, this is good. This is so funny. And what happens is that like, this is how my kids were watching. I was going to say Cat and Jack, but that's a Target brand. Uh, Cat and somebody. Let me, this is going to kill me. It's going to look, it's going to, it's going to fucking kill me. I got to look this up. Sorry, guys. This is, this is Cat and... No, Cat and Ariana Grande. <laughs> I don't actually know which one was Cat. Oh, Ariana Grande was Cat. No, wh- who was the other little girl? Sam and Cat. Mm, okay. Sam was the one that wrote the book about hating her mama, uh, wishing her mama was dead, or being happy her mama was dead. Me too. I'm happy her mama's dead too. I read that book. Girl. Your mom should have been assassinated a long time ago. Anyway, Sam and Cat. So my daughter's watching that because through Netflix, I believe, or it might be Disney Plus, she has access to all these Nickelodeon shows that she believes are on currently. And I keep telling her, baby, 
These are <laughs> a lot of times. I'm just watch, like she'll be watching High School Musical. Like that shit came out this year. I'll be like, you do not want me to tell you what happened with the rest of with these people. You don't want me to tell you. Um, so that's on, and I'm sitting next to my daughter because she wants me to watch it because that's how Bunny is. So I am watching it, and Mr. Curtis comes to sit next to us, and he goes, "Oh, look, Ariana Grande's got a TV show now." He thinks the show is current too. He thinks this show happened after Ariana Grande became one of the biggest pop stars in the fucking world. He doesn't know. He doesn't. He doesn't know. What it reminds me of is in the '90s. Remember that dancing baby? It used to be on cartoons and shit, like cartoons, commercials and shit. And then it was on Alley Pink Bill, right? So my mom doesn't watch commercials. That's so funny. That now that I think about it, my mother never watched commercials because my mother would record all her daytime talk shows and shit, her soaps, her daytime talk shows and everything. And then when she'd come home, she would watch it on a VHS tape, tape. So she never saw commercials. And that's so funny because I will not watch a commercial to this day. And at the time, I always thought it was weird that she never saw a commercial ever. But one day she accidentally saw that commercial. But it was like one day, like two years later. And she comes out of her bedroom and goes, oh my God, I just saw a dancing baby. Like this dancing baby was every fucking where for a really long time. And like two years later, <laughs> I think a dancing baby was an Energizer, Energizer Bunny commercial. That's not, That might have been when she saw it. Two years later, my mom sees this fucking dancing baby and is delighted about it and wants to talk about it. Mr. Curtis and my mom have a lot in common. But, so he's never seen Desperate Housewives, but he wants to watch it. So, and he is enthralled. By, like, I cannot turn it on in our office because he will be playing Call of Duty and have to drop out the game because it'll be on. And he needs to watch it. So, in terms of Desperate Housewives, during this rewatch, lots of things were the same. Other things are different than I remember. Let's start with the one, the number one thing I don't remember. I didn't remember. Gabrielle Solis slept with a 16-year-old. I thought John was 18 and 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 failed some grades. And he was like a sophomore. He yeah, he was like he he was like a sophomore who like had been held back a few times. But no, they flat out say she she started sleeping when he was 16. Are you guys fucking serious? I already thought it was gross, right? I I, I know because she's a woman, people think it's not as bad. But I, I already thought it was gross that she was sleeping with a high school student, right? Um, using a high school student to make herself feel better about a marriage that she agreed to be into. Which I'm not saying it wasn't like... Gabby and Carlos break up and get back together several times. He ends up blind. I'm not there yet, but I just remember that. Then they do the jump for it. I'm not at the jump for it yet, but I'm ready for it. Um, I think it's my, I'm, I'm on season four. I think it's a season five where they do the jump for it. And that's when Gabby's got the kids and they almost have a kid like four times before then. And they break up and get back together and cheat on each other and then cheat on other people and like that. But I do not root for them because I think it's wild that Gabrielle Solis slept with a child. Um, because she was mad at her husband for leaving her alone. And there is a scene in the first season, I believe, where she is supposed, well, he wants her to sign a post nup, and she uh, doesn't want one, and he grabs her and kind of puts her in a headlock. 
like I'm I'm questioning whether I really saw this. He puts her in a headlock and forces her to sign the paper and yell, sign it, sign it, sign it. Um and then like, I don't know, three episodes later, he's your friendly neighborhood Carlos. I don't I don't like that. You know, before I started rewatching, I was like, you know, my favorites are Gabrielle Solis. She's super hot. She's like, what, 4'1"? Four, four Just so fucking hot. Um, Ava Longoria really, like, owned the world at that time. I really like uh, Brie Vandekamp. We'll get to her. Brie Vandekamp Hodge. Uh, we'll get to her. And, you know, third, if I had to pick a third, it'd be Edie. Because I just like how villainous she is. I just I, She's funny. I, I just enjoy her being, like, a funny villain. Like... Sleeping with everybody's ex-boyfriends or whatever. Like, uh, there's a there's a scene. I, it's, I think it's the first episode. Might be the second ep- or the third episode of Designing Women. The first episode is in De- Designing Women, which you don't remember until you rewatch it, is the one with the nights the lights went out in Georgia. So you may know and your children may know. Like, that, that, that speech by Julia is the first episode of Designing Women. It's a very good speech. Um, but maybe the third or fourth episode is when Suzanne starts dating Mary Jo's ex-husband. And she's basically saying, Mary, you don't want to be with him, Mary Jo. And it's fine, blah, blah, blah. And Julia is like, yeah, she doesn't want her old nasty underwear either, but, uh, her old raggedy underwear either, but we don't want to see you walking around in it. And, but Edie does not care. Edie's like, whatever, whatever you drop out here, I come and get. So those are my three going back into my, into my rewatch. Listen, Gabrielle, it was very, I was like, I can't, I gotta stop. I can't, I can't do this. Um, I do admire that we never once, she's always shopping. I wanted to see what, the bags are obviously empty, it's TV, but I really want to know what the fuck she buying all the time. Like, I just don't think her wardrobe matches this much shopping. And, um, she, you only see, so far, I've only seen her sneakers one time and it was when their unethically <laughs> hired uh, surrogate was giving birth and the, the baby ended up being black and they find out it was implanted. Guys, there's a lot of ethical concerns with surrogacy, right? Um, surrogacy is literally the renting of a womb. That's That's what it is. But let me tell you, and so there's a lot of questions, a lot of gray areas, there's a lot for people with more experience and more knowledge than me to figure out, right? Because I don't have any fucking experience or knowledge of this. But let me tell you what I do know. I know that you hiring your domestic worker to be a surrogate for your baby, then I don't I don't actually know if they paid her. Because why the fuck is she still working at the house? Cleaning fucking toilets and shit. So when you write the paycheck, do you say in the memo, does it say maid services or surrogate services? Then Carlos starts sleeping with her and they turn this into that woman is like, kind of like, uh, her and Carlos not even fell in love, but Carlos is getting back at Gabby and that, uh, that the girl has feelings for Carlos. I don't know, man, that man writes you checks every week for your maid service and surrogacy services and I don't, we don't see them get together. I don't know if, I mean, he put Gabby in a fucking head. Like, I don't know what he did to that chick. Why are you sleeping with the surrogate? 
Does she know she doesn't have to sleep with you is the question I would like to ask. And even if she knows she doesn't, does did girl, why y'all do it? And so then Gabby and Carlos break up and and the lady, I I can't I'm I keep calling the lady, I keep calling her me. I do not remember her name. It was I think it was like three syllables. I cannot remember the name. She stays with Gabby and Gabby continues to have her work all the time. And basically it's like, get over here and do this. Get over here and do that. Now she's really mad at her because she was sleeping with her husband. But she can't find her. She's got a baby inside her. Yo, is this slavery? I know there's a, there's a storyline where one of the women on the, on the street got a slave. But is this slavery? Is this what's I don't know. Here's another thing. Gabby called the police on Carlos and told me he was a Mexican. She did. She said. <laughs> this is not fucking funny. <laughs> I, but when Gabby said, I was like, what? Who wrote this? Who fucking wrote this? She's like, there's a man breaking to my home. Was she like, it's the board. They're getting divorced. Like who's going to stay in the house? Who's not going to stay in the house? And so he's staying there because they're in the middle of the divorce and she wants him out. So she changes the locks. He like breaks into the house and she calls the police and says, there's a Mexican breaking into my house. She ends up going to jail because mm, why are you using the police as a weapon? And yeah, like um, a lot's happening over there. And I, I, I realized why Gabrielle was one of my favorites. She's super hot. I'm sexually attracted to her. I'm sorry. That, that's my number one in, in characters. And two, and two, I like that she's kind of me. I, I, I just like people with a little sass to them. And she, and she always had it. But the more I'm rewatching, the more I'm like, so Gabrielle slept with a child. And I'm so proud of my husband. Because my husband is like, I wouldn't say my husband's conservative. But I am far left of my husband. And I'm getting lefter every day. I'm getting radicalized every day. And like, I can tell sometimes he's like, what? <laughs> but um, when Zach Young comes back and um, it's like trying to be with Gabby and she's like, no, you're too young for me. He's like, I'm too much. I'm too much older than John. And I was like, mm, he's got a point, Gabby. Like. Did you, John was very young when you were sleeping with him. And if, I, if he was my kid, I would have fucked you up, bitch. I would have came to your house and hit you with a fucking bat. Like, you predator. <laughs> and they threatened to call the police. I would have fucking called the police on her ass. I She would be in jail. She would be in fucking jail. Well, probably not because we don't take rape seriously of any kind. But still. But I'm so proud of my husband because I was trying to remember the gardener's name. His name is John. And I was like, do you remember his name? And he and he goes, oh, that guy that she raped? And I was like, yes, that's the correct term. That is the correct, she did rape him. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then Zach tried to pretend like they'd had sex and like, she couldn't remember. Oh my goodness. And then Carlos went to the bathroom with him and I guess saw he had a big dick and was like, listen, Gabby, this is back when they were trying to be friends. Listen, if you had had sex with him, you would fucking know. And she's like, what do you mean? And then he like hits a sausage that's hanging from the, the ceiling because they're in the pizza place. This was very good writing. It's very funny. Anyway, but my absolute favorite is Brie Vandekamp Hodge. Now, I just fucking told you. 
all the problems I have with Gabrielle Solis. I have similar ones with Brie, but I'm sorry. I just like her. I just do. She's an excellent mother. She would cover up a murder for you. She would pretend to be mur- She would pretend to be pregnant for you. Yes. Is she too uptight? Is she homophobic? Yes, she is. She's absolutely fucking homophobic. She tells um, her son, Andrew, that he's not, he's, he's going straight. Well, I just don't want you to go to hell. It reminds me of like, when I was in high school, I had it. My main debate partner throughout the whole entire time um, was a dude, and he was very religious. His father was a pastor. He had a lot of siblings, and we were good friends. I mean, we spent a lot of time together. We we lettered in debate <laughs> three years out of. We were very. We went to debate camp together. We were like good friends and he was gay like I knew he was gay at the time at the time I was like bearding a lot like I don't know guys would like try to go out with me and I'd be like I just think you're gay and then they'd be like I am now today Sprint says knows not to say that to people but back then I would just be like they'd be like come on princess I want to be with you I want to touch your big breast and I'd be like the way you're saying that makes it sound like you don't want to. And have you thought about being gay? And they'd be like, yes, actually, you're right. I am gay. I'm coming out today. But <laughs> I ushered many a man out of the closet. But and we never, me and my debate partner never have that. But I just was very, I was like, he's gay. Um, But we didn't talk about it because I was, I he didn't want, like, he wasn't one of the ones I was dating. So I didn't feel comfortable being like, mm, you're probably gay, you know. But I just remember being on the bus with him, went to the magnet school for sciences. So we, we left the school at the same time every day. And we take this bus down to the medical school and somebody else was on the bus. It was a, a smaller bus. I, went, I didn't go to one of those schools and schools that had like 80% of the kids wanted to go to magnet school. I went to a small, to one of the schools that didn't have many. And some girl was talking and she had said something about gay people don't go to heaven and I turned to my debate partner and I was like, hey, do you fucking hear her? Do you hear her back there? She thinks gay people don't go to heaven. And he says, well, they don't. And I, I, I got, I was like, what? Because I don't even know if I, you know, I, I started questioning a lot of things at the time. So I don't even know if I believe in heaven. But I just like the way he just said they don't. And I was like, and I really wanted to be like, you think that? You? You? But. And when Bree was saying that to her son, I was, I, that, that shit came right. I was like, damn, I remember like being really bummed that he had said that to me. Like he's openly gay now. He's out. I mean, I don't know how old he is. Uh, when I was still on Facebook, he was doing some things that made it seem like he was out. Uh, like anybody, anybody with any experience knew he was like out in these streets, but like, he didn't really talk about it. Like he didn't, he wasn't, he didn't explicitly write, I am gay. He, he never put a picture on there with him wrapped in a pride flag or anything like that. But it was quite obvious he's gay. He's, he's out now. But I just remember at the time, like, and you know, I'm, I'm almost never at a loss for words. I'm not, I'm not a quiet person. And I mean, I, I can be moody, but I'm not like generally a quiet person. I would talk people to death all the time, but I remember not saying anything else on the rest of the bus ride. Cause I just like, was the girl that was saying it back there like of course she thought that of course she was like just openly having this conversation about how gay people go to hell and all those other things and but when he was like they don't it's like 
I don't know, it just really threw me. It just really fucking threw me. Like, uh, like when I watched Requiem for a Dream and didn't speak for three days straight. It, I was just like, <sighs> um, Brie Vandekamp having that conversation with her son reminded me of that. Um, but here's the thing. Here's why I forgive her. Is she homophobic? Yes, she is. Is she a crazy gun Republican? Mm-hmm. Lynette's a Republican too, guys. That little Red Riding Hood uh thing where she fights to to she says some of the some of the talking points she has where she doesn't want the end of the uh the the play changed uh are, are she's a Republican but not in a fun crazy way like Brie Vandekamp is you know like like she's Martha Stewart and she also has a gun in her apron that she's wild. I just find Brie to be a fun character. And I don't feel that bad for her son because I don't like him. I don't like her daughter either. She has bad kids. Are any kids bad? Yeah. No, no, no kids are actually bad. It's just, are their needs being met or not? That's the, that, that's the logical truth. But the fact is, them kids, I don't want them kids. They have some wild ass kids. And I mean, okay, your mom's really strict and she's also homophobic and she's also mean. And also her boyfriend killed your dad. <laughs> then she brought another killer into the house whose mama was Dixie Carter. Uh, Julia from Designing Woman. Designing Woman. Women was on there and she was a killer. And there's, you know, there's a lot of killing going on. But I mean, she just wants to put you in an elaborate costume for the Easter pageant. Let her. I know it's itchy. Let her make a ham. Your room is definitely going to be clean. There is a scene where they're doing a flashback and uh, she's telling her, her husband that Danielle, her daughter, can't sh- dye her hair because dyeing your hair leads directly to drugs. <laughs> and I was like, it does. It does. As soon as you put a little highlight in your hair, next thing you know, you're smoking the marijuana. Next thing you know, PCP. <laughs> she's right. <laughs> I don't know. I just like her. And I think Marsha Cross is so cute. And... Seeing Marsha Cross after, um, you know, Marsha Cross traumatized me in the ninth grade. In the ninth grade, I, the ninth grade is where I had to quit VC Andrew Books and Merrill's Place at the same time. I had to go cold turkey on it because I was really stressed out. Those VC Andrew Books were stressing me the fuck out. It was a lot of molestation. There was a lot of uh, orphanings and, and, I don't even remember what book I was reading, um, but it had an Appalachian family and the father had, they had a bunch of kids in the family and the father had told the mother to start taking birth control. And so in the story, the the mother takes all the birth control at one time and the next baby comes out, the form, like girl, I had no business reading this shit. Really, absolutely no business reading it. It was schlock. I, <laughs> I shouldn't have been reading this shit. But it would stress me out. I would like start a VC Andrews book and not be able to finish and not be able to go to sleep until it was done. I wasn't getting any sleep. On the other hand, I was watching fucking Marrow's Place. Um, and Kimberly stole Joel's baby. Do you guys remember that? Like on the boat, Kimberly stole Joe's baby. And Marsha Cross was Kimberly. And... Uh, she was just like, 
at first she was the mistress down at the at the hospital. Then she was burnt up and she had like a, a wig and a mask. And then she stole a baby. And I just I just remember being in ninth grade earth science first thing in the fucking morning. And like supposed to be paying attention to fucking minerals or whatever. And I'm just like trying to write fanfic on how we could get Joe's baby back. I was so fucking upset by it. And that was the year I had to stop. I had to quit it. Because my blood pressure was up. I couldn't sleep at night. I wasn't eating. I had bags under my eyes. People kept asking me what was wrong, what was wrong, what was wrong. And like, what am I supposed to say? I'm like really fucked up that Kimberly stole Joe's baby on Melrose Place. And also, I've been I've been feeding myself a steady diet of V.C. Andrews books. And I think... I think something's, I think I'm fucked up in the head now. I think I have fucked up my brain at this point. And like, all I can think about is how these girls keep getting orphaned and then like adopted into these families. And it turns out that like the father like wants to date them. And they, they would say something. I was like, can a 32 year old man date a 12 year old? No, no, like I'm 14 and I know that. So, like, Marsha Clark, like, traumatized me as a 14-year-old and coming back in my 20s to her as Brie Vandekamp. I was like, oh, thank you for something different. I know, I know she's not a raised cup of tea, but I'm like, she will cover up a murder for you. Let her. Let her. What else is that? Oh, Lynette, Felicity Huffman, pre-Varsity Blue scandal. Um... Lynette, the kids are bad. And again, like if we, if we talk, if I'm, if I need to be careful with my words, because no children are bad, just are their meats met or unmet? Okay. But for shorthand, your kids are fucking bad. They're wild. They're getting kicked out of schools. They stealing from every, there's a, there's an episode where they're stealing from everybody on the fucking block. Now you don't, apparently they have ADD. That's what they were calling at the time. Um, but you don't want to medicate them. You want to take them and get all high and shit. Okay, fine. You take the medicine. Um, cause you think they might not be, they might not draw you as cool of pictures. Uh, they stealing, but you don't want it, but, but you don't want them to return stuff and be punished. Um, you don't want anybody to hit the kids. Now y'all know I am anti spanking, right? I don't think hitting people works. I don't want to live in a house. Where I have to hit people. I don't want to live in a world where I must hit people so they so that they can love me. They can they can act accordingly. I don't want to live like that, and I certainly don't want to live that in my house. And I don't want to do that to my children. Um, but listen, what are you gonna do, Lynette? What are you gonna do? Just let them keep running. At least, first of all, let's talk about why these three boys are redheads. Hmm. Hmm. You got four kids, three of them are redheads, one's blonde. You and your husband are blonde. Now, I know that blonde, that redhead, redheadness is a recessive gene. Now, I did learn that in um, in biology in the 10th grade because back then I was back on my shit. So, I know that it's recessive and there's all these, and you know, all these things. But I also know that if it's a, if it's a recessive gene, that I, the, so it's blonde is fine. Well, whatever. The... <laughs> Welcome to my TED Talk. Why did Lynette and Tom have three redheaded kids? The odds of them having three red three kids with with uh redheaded uh recessive genes is not. Mm-mm. I know one set was a twins. 
I still, I think something's off here. Let's 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 figure out what's going on. Anyway, these fucking kids are bad, and you don't want to do anything about it, except for yell at them and threaten to hit them. Why would you threaten? What, do you think threatening to hit people and then not hitting them is is okay? You don't think that threatening to constantly threatening to hit them is at least a little bad? If you don't, if it, like you think hitting them is bad, but threatening to hit them all day is fine. So. Then one day, you know, because she was always like a beleaguered mother, and she she see she can't her babysitter's gone, right? She doesn't get a babysitter, and she needs to go out with her old friends. Her old friends will stop asking her out if she don't if she doesn't go, and she needs to find some. So she sees Bree outside, and she asks Bree. She runs her children over to Bree's house and goes, "Bree, can you watch my children?" And Bree does not want to watch her children, right? Because what I look like, and but she agrees to do it. Now the kids are bad over there. And Bree spanks them. Y'all think Bree don't spank pee kids? Bree shoots people. Of course she spanks children. Of fucking course. You should not have ran over to Lynette with those fucking kids and left them in Bree's care without explicit instructions. I blame you, Lynette, not Bree. Bree been hitting kids all her life. Bree probably spanked kids when she was a kid. She was probably four years old spanking other kids on the ground. Then she pulled out a gun and twirled it around like fucking... <laughs> Oh my fucking god. I was gonna say you Stephanie Sam. <laughs> but I'm all I'm saying is that if I had to pick out someone who beat kids in a lineup, Brie Vandekamp would be the first person I would choose. I know she does. I fucking know she does. Maybe that's why her kids don't like her. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I should be on the kids' side, guys. <laughs> I think it's I, I think Brie's more fun. Anyway, so so Lynette, why did you bring them kids over there? You know them kids don't listen. You know they don't. Um, so I blame you, Lynette, in this. I really do. Should take them over to Susan's house. Susan don't do anything. Susan. <laughs> uh, Susan. Um, I know Susan's supposed to be our favorite, but like, guys, she's a Mary Sue. You know what I mean? She's like, uh, she's always like, I don't know why things are going wrong for me. I lost my clothes. I'm in the street naked. I can't be, I can't stand a Mary Sue. I can't, not, I cannot stand one like as if I hate them, but I mean, I am, I am unable to be a stan for a Mary Sue. She's fine. Um, I did like the episode where she, so Mike's in a coma because everybody's got to be in a coma at least once or twice on the fucking shows. Um, She's dating Ian, whose wife is also in a coma. So of course, let's date in this hospital. Why don't y'all just sit down? And go back to those rooms where your coma loved ones are in there. Why would you be out here dating? But she, they're going to have sex for the first time. And he's only had sex with one other person because he met his wife in like middle school. You know? And we find out that Susan's had sex with 11 people. And he's like, basically calls her a slut. And I'm like, I don't know, man. She's been having, she's like 40. And she's been having sex since she was like 16. 11 people is fine. But what you should have said is what I say, which is the truth, is I don't know how many people I've had sex with. I don't keep count because I don't need to. I've had sex with anybody I wanted to who also wanted to have sex with me. And if you got a problem with that, back up off this puss because I'm, I don't need to keep count. Okay? You need to go back to school and get some sex education. We need sex education in the school because pussies don't wear out, baby. They just, they don't. That's not how it works. 
So I did feel good about that. But other than that, I don't know. Susan's not, she's a really bad mom. <laughs> she's like a really, well, Lynette's a bad mom too. And so is Bree. So is Edie. I haven't gotten to the jump ahead, but I'm pretty sure Gabby is a bad mom too. She did rape a child. Hmm. Yeah, so that's where I'm at. And Mr. Curtis is coming along with me. Now, somebody on Twitter did mention Army Wives, which brought up a lot of fucking memories for me. A lot of memories. Me and my dad used to watch Army Wives together. My dad likes two shows that I liked. Army Wives and America's Next Top Model. He liked Army Wives because he's in the military. And he found it to be very soothing and very wholesome entertainment. He liked uh, America's Next Top Model because he likes it when Tyra yells at the girls. He just really liked that. We are rooting for you. We were rooting for you. He loved that. He loved it. Um, yeah, something's wrong with him too. But, but we used to watch Army Wives and I forgot it was just like these four white women running around an army base and Sterling K. Brown. <laughs> and a bomb went off. And then... <laughs> I thought Claudia Joy, everyone survived and everything was fine. But then it turned out that the next episode that everything wasn't fine. Claudia Joy was hallucinating. Her daughter was dead. And <laughs> Denise's son was beating her while her, while her husband was deployed. Shock. Why? I, I, I need to rewatch it. I think I need to rewatch it. I think we, then Pamela had a, she was a surrogate. Okay. She had a baby. But she didn't want people to know that she was having a baby for money. So they were going to lie and say the baby died. To their children. To ever, to her mother. To her family. They were going to say the baby died. And then the babies were, were like, I, I guess it was twins. Sterling K. Brown delivered them. Uh, because he was like an army wife, right? Because his wife was in the army. And um, Sterling King Brown delivered them and they were black babies. And then she had to be like, this is a surrogate. And it was a rumors. Going, I don't know. It was, <laughs> it was always some shit going down on that fucking base. <laughs> always some shit. I want to rewatch it. I think I'll rewatch it after I do Desperate Housewives. Anyway. <laughs> oh, one more thing. We're 41 minutes and I need to like get going. Y'all don't mind, do you? <laughs> I'll put a timestamp so y'all can get through this shit. Um, one thing I'm noticing about Desperate Housewives is how skinny everybody is. Uh, it is. It starts in 2004, 2005. Um, there's a lot of, for network TV, there's a lot of sex, right? They're naked a lot. Not naked. They're not naked. Get <laughs> On network TV, if you're going to have sex with someone, when they answer the door, you have to kiss them. Or if you leave... You have to kiss them. Even if it's an affair. Even if it's an affair you're on the front fucking porch. The front stoop on Wisteria Lane. You still have to kiss them when you leave. Um, That's how, like, when they thought Tom was having an affair. I was like, he's not having an affair. He didn't kiss that lady when, he, when she opened the door. Um, By the way, his baby mama, the one that got killed in the, uh, in the grocery store. She was a lot of fucking fun. I don't remember what her name was. Like, the actress who played her. But she... The actress that played her did ve was very good. She she a lot of fun on screen, like batshit crazy. And when Lynette she she finds out that she hit on Tom, and Lynette goes over there and like almost kills her <laughs> in front of the kid. Like she's like, I'm gonna leave, but let me just hug your mommy first, okay? And hugs her and is like, if you ever come near my husband again, I was like, get her, Lynette, fucking get her, get her, fight her, okay? You come. Let me let me find out. 
let me fucking find out you coming from Mr. Curtis. Let me find out I'm coming to your house. Well, first I'm going to fuck him up. Then I'm coming to your house, okay? <laughs> like, Lynette, tell that bitch. Tell her. Tell her she want to drop her kid off. She drop her off at the end of the fucking street. She's not invited to no birthday party. So she better leave your fucking husband alone. Now, is it the husband's fault? Yes, it is. Well, no, it's not. Tom did not want to be with that lady. And he definitely told her to get off of her. But, you know. Um, but yeah, the, the actress who played her, lots of fun. Great on screen. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. And so, it's network TV. And remember, Desperate Housewives was supposed to be like a sexy show. Uh, remember when, uh, Nicolette Sheridan, the lady who played Edie, uh, did that commercial for football where a half-naked white lady runs into a locker room and black Terrell Owens picks her up and carries her around the room and, like, Everybody lost their fucking minds over it. And people were complaining. All these complaints. I think it was a Super Bowl commercial maybe. And all for different reasons. (laughs) But yeah. Like Gabrielle. Edie. Susan was naked a lot. But mostly because her clothes flew off of her. Then you know. Oh there was this one time. Brie was naked. And I was like. Damn Brie. I did not know you had all that behind that fucking apron. Oh also Marsha Cross. I think it was season. These seasons are 45 episodes long. Again, network TV. This is not HBO. Um, So it might have been season two. It might have been season three. But she's on camera. And I'm looking at her. I'm like, did this bitch get like lip injections? What is she? Turns out she's pregnant with twins. And we're just not seeing it because they're hiding it because she's on a TV show. I was like, damn, girl. Anyway. So they're naked a lot. And like when I say naked, though. It's a lot of bra and panty sets, which is fine, okay? But a bra and panty set are the same as a fucking bikini, guys. There's some lace, but but they're they're not revealing. And Gabrielle would have a bra and panty set on and then a robe. She's got three items of clothes. She's not naked. She's not naked. And then what they would do is like, so people would have sex, and then we come back from commercial, and the the characters would kind of jump onto the bed. It's so hard to describe, but they kind of jump onto the bed and be like, that was great. And she would be wearing three articles of clothing and he would have on uh, boxer shorts and like fucking board shorts that go all the way down his knees. And we're supposed to be like, this is titillating. This, But it was for the time. It really fucking was. Um, the, the word, They kept saying bitch. That was like a big deal. Um, yeah, like, it was supposed to be a steamy show or whatever, but it's so hard watching it in a 2023 context. I'm like, this is not steamy. You guys have a lot of fucking clothes on. I, I'm not supposed to believe you just had sex. Why, if you are, if you are Rex, why, if you are patronizing the neighborhood sex worker who no one knows is doing sex work out of her living room where, out of her own bedroom where her husband lives um, where her husband also sleeps at night, why would you go to the front door? And these are not, these are 2004 houses, so they're very close to the street. They're not backed up and everything. Why are you standing on the porch kissing her? On the street you live on, girl. Network TV. Oh, one more thing, guys. Besides the fact they were like, like, Susan's knees were knobby at one point. I was like, Susan. Like, I'm sure Terry Hatcher wanted to eat something. Something. Um, 
And then they would have them say things like, Felicity Huffman would be like, I can't wear a bikini anymore. Felicity Huffman probably weighed 105 fucking pounds in that scene. What are you talking about? We need to cut back on carbs or whatever they were fucking saying. I was like, these women all put together way less than my left boob. And that includes Marsha Cross pregnant. I, I just think it's weird that they had them saying something. But I guess that's, you know, that's what they have to do. But the, the last, before I move on, because it's been almost fucking an hour of me just talking about bullshit. Um, the last thing is that I find it hard to believe that Susan and Lynette live in the same neighborhood as Bree and Gabrielle. I think Edie would live in the same neighborhood as Susan. Um... Susan's house, they did flashbacks on how they got to Wisteria Lane. Susan's house was bought by her ex, like, in the middle of their divorce to give to her and Julie. Um, Felicity, Lynette's husband, Lynette was no longer working. Um, She she had twins, another son, and then Penny. Um, And Tom was never as good an ad exec as Lynette was. So I'm sure he made some money, but, like... My understanding is that Gabrielle's life, she was driving a Maserati, guys. (laughs) She was driving a Maserati. Like, if this was 2023, she might have shown up in a Bugatti. Like, Like, she's supposed to be fabulously rich. Like this is obviously set in California, but it's but Wisteria Lane is like in a in Fairview, and it's in a fake state. It's not. They don't say it's kind of like the Simpsons. Um, but Gabrielle would not have lived there. Apparently had much more money. Oh my God. I forgot. Carlos's mama was the lady who killed Selena. <laughs> and that's why their house was a bright fucking yellow. Cause she picked it. I'm like, Oh my God. But still, and it felt like Brie was just a smidge more, um, uh, old money, if I could say it that way, uh, than Susan or Lynette or Edie would be. And I just felt like Brie, Gabrielle would be living in a high rise somewhere. And, and Brie would be living in like a literal mansion of some sort. And Lynette and Edie and Susan would all live in the same neighborhood. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And also, it doesn't make sense that... Uh, well, you know, they're all, they're all like, friends because of uh, Mary Alice, who kills herself. But, um, yeah, it does like, I'm like, how do y'all, y'all don't... So y'all need to write some extra, like, backstory to explain why Bree's house is on the same street as Susan's house. Now, if they live in the same neighborhood, but not the same street as Mrs. McCluskey's house. Mrs. McCluskey is a widow. You know what I mean? Like... How is Miss McCluskey able to afford the house next door to Bree 
across the street from Susan. Across the street from Lynette. How is that possible? We we need to talk about it. Anyway, anyway, let me. <laughs> That's a conclusion of my Desperate Housewives podcast. Um, I was like, I don't have time. I don't have time. I have a full hour to talk about Desperate Housewives and Army Wives and uh, Pantry Organization. Sure, sure. Guys, this is the penultimate episode to this season. Um, it's on Hazel E. On Ayala Fix My Life. It's season five, episode eight. Next week, we will be doing the two-parter for Evelyn Lozada. And then we are done. And I have an inkling of what will be next. But let me let me just like get all my P's and Q's in a row. P's and Q's. Let me get all my ducks in a row. And then, you know, mind my P's and Q's. And, you know, cross all my T's and dot all my I's extra fucking hard. And then I will tell you what I, what's going to be next. But... <sighs> I want to tell you who Hazel E is first, okay? So Hazel E is a reality TV star. If you may or may not be familiar with Love and Hip Hop, which started in New York with Jim Jones and Chrissy being main characters and moved to Atlanta where Scrappy and the Bam and Mama D and Stevie J and Jocelyn, the baddest bitch Hernandez, You, I don't like uh, live episodes of podcasts, mostly because I do not want to hear from people who like the podcasts I like. I want to hear from the people who make the podcasts that I like. And so I find that audience participation is does not make it better for me to listen to. So when things like Bitch Sesh or The Read go do a live show, and of course they use that show for the episode that week, I am, I always skip it, but this one time I actually did listen to it and, um, someone said, you know, Kid Fury, huge Trina fan, not Trina Braxton, Miami Trina, uh, Trick Daddy and Trina, that Trina, um, the baddest bitch Trina, uh, you know, he's a huge fan, Trick and, Trick and Trina raised him and, Someone got up at the show and said, how do you feel about the baddest bitch? Because that's what Jocelyn would say about herself. The baddest bitch. And when he realized they were talking about Jocelyn Hernandez, he started screaming into the mic. <laughs> it was very funny. Didn't make me want to keep living, listening to live shows, but very, very funny. I also have no desire to go to a live show either. I find that I don't like people who like the same things that I do. And I don't know what that's about. But Hazel E originated... So once... Loving Loving Hip Hop started in um, New York by a woman named Mona Scott, who for years had been in like artist management. So she managed a lot of people in hip hop. And according to Jim Jones, Jim Jones went to pitch this episode. I mean, this show went to pitch a show for himself. Mona Scott came with them as representation and somehow ended up owning the show. I don't know. Jim Jones is high a lot. And also, according to him, his mother taught him how to kiss. Like, they French kissed together to practice. His mother was in active addiction, and they act like that shit was fine. And Jim Jones got a lot of stuff to worry about. But that's what he says happened. Mona Scott uh, then moves the franchise to Atlanta, which is I think is the best of the franchises. Then to Hollywood, and later to Miami. 
I think Miami is the, it's like a copy of a copy of a copy. But I do believe Atlanta is perfected. Um, but Hollywood had Ray J and Princess Love. Um, it had Little Fizz and Monice. It had Omarion and April on there at one point. And if you guys remember, Omarion never wanted to go back on tour. They're, they're from B2K, by the way. And um, what happens is while they do go back on tour, Little Fizz and his baby mama April get, start to date each other. And it caused all that, like, it's that. Hazel E is from the Hollywood version of Love and Hip Hop. On the first season, she is brought in as the roommate of Tierra Marie. Okay. That whole 50 Cent Tierra Marie lawsuit came from um, Love and Hip Hop Hollywood. And this guy named Akbar, who had several wives that Tierra Marie was in love with and stuff. And he released uh, revenge porn, you know. <clears throat> a sexual assault material against um, against Tara Marie. And 50 Cent kind of did contrast on the, the video, on the picture, and then posted it. And there you go. But that all came from a Love & Hip Hop thing. Masika was on Love & Hip Hop. And the first season, Masika and this woman named Nikki Baby who is Armenian or some Lebanese, something like that. Um, and always wears like <clears throat> six cats worth of wigs on her head and talks like this. So anyway, I'm like, I'm like the hottest girl and Nikki baby would never do <laughs> like, that's how she talks. It's like a whisper kind of, um, the, the first episode, the first season, Masika and Nikki Baby were fighting over this guy named Molly Mall, um, who, like, the next season was was arrested on federal sex trafficking charges and also for having, like, tigers in his house or some shit. And then he was off the show. Like, there's a lot of shit that happened over there. But on the first season, Hazel E is is Tierra Marie's uh, roommate. Tierra Marie is just out of a relationship with Ray J, and Ray J is in a relationship with Princess Love. If you don't know who Princess Love is, Princess Love is one of Floyd May Mayweather's women. He has several. Floyd Mayweather cannot read, but he can make fucking money. And he got a million fucking women, and Ray J used to run around with them. You know, Ray J is a Loki of fucking Hollywood. Ray J started the East Coast, West Coast feud. Like, like go back and look. Guys, Ray J. <sighs> Ray J's been in a lot of stuff. But, um, do you guys remember when Ray J was high as fuck and called up? Like, I think it was, um, The Breakfast Club and was screaming about, how Floyd, money, uh, the money crew, and, like, he was screaming all these things about them. And they were like, what the fuck is going on with Ray J? And I'm like, he's high, dude. He's fucking high as fuck. Um, so, Princess Love was one of his women, and Ray J was one of his entourage. And Princess Love, like, left Floyd, stole a bunch of jewelry and money from him, and went off with, with Ray J. And, like, Floyd's hated them ever since. 
So, when the show starts, the main attraction is Tierra Marie and Ray J. And Hazel E is Tierra Marie, their name's right? Roommate. Quote unquote roommate. Not true, obviously. This is fucking reality. This is this is a VH1 reality show. So if you want if you say reality's not real, VH1 really isn't fucking real. Uh it's basically curb your enthusiasm. They they just were like, here's a here's a prompt. Act it out. That's that's what they do to them. So the whole thing was that she Hazel E was in love with, uh, or wanted to be with this dude named Young Bird, who was a producer, and he did produce a lot of things, okay? And, but he wanted to be out here hoeing, and she was in love with him. And when she gets on the show, she's, she's an XPR person. Pete, she's 37 on Ayala, but at the time when, five years earlier, when fuck, when she came on, we thought she was in her 40s. And Young Bird, is not that young, but he's short. And and he acts like he's got a short man complex. And what I mean by that is short men with no fucking swag who act like the reason people don't like aren't attracted to them is because they're short. Baby, you could be five foot fucking one. And if you walk around like you got big dick energy, people don't care go back to that sex in the city episode with that short guy like fucks the shit out of uh samantha there are plenty of short ass motherfuckers ti is short as fuck and before you know before he was out here doing what he, <laughs> before all that people used to people were so fucking sexually attracted he's little guys a lot of these men are little prince what was he four or five he that was a little fucking man that's why he was wearing those heels prince Guys, being short is not your fucking problem. The problem is that being tall lets people sometimes makes people overlook the fact that your ass is corny. It's not that you it's not that being short is a is a disadvantage. It's that you don't have the natural advantage of being tall and you gotta work a little harder. That's it. It's like like having small tits is not going to keep you from being fucked. It just isn't. But if you let that shit get in your head and walk around with small titty energy, it's going to be a problem. Okay. That's my PSA. Pass that on to the, the short men in your life. Being, you being short is not a, is not a problem. As long as you got swag and you walk like you got a big dick falling behind, like dragging on the ground behind you. That's all you need to do. Um, you need to be self-possessed. Anyway, so, but he's a, he's a little man with little man energy. And basically, Hazel E is like played that season. And then he's so rude to her. I mean, he's, he, he gets kicked off the next season in between seasons for like beating like another woman on the cast, like getting into a fight with her in a hotel and beating her. And he's off the cast. But on, on the show, he basically plays her so fucking hard and it's like, I don't care about you. You're the Thursday chick. And if you can't be the Thursday chick, I don't want you. And then he throws like, like she, she, this is so fucking hard to say this. She does a rap about him and then wants him to listen to the rap. And it's on like a, a beat he produced. And he takes it from her 
and gives it to some to Masika. That's who he gives it to her. To somebody else that he wants to have sex with. Masika's the one he beat in the hotel room later that. Like after the, the season wrapped. Um, and so to get <laughs> Jesus. To get like to kind of be like to show him she does like a rap on that beat and like goes to a car to like show it to him and they start to argue and he like takes her purse and throws it in the street like turns up and throws in the street and kicks her shit all over the place and then like kind of drives off like I it's so <sighs> guys what I'm what how I'm describing is not does not do just it was like some of the most secondhand embarrassing shit I've ever seen. And then later, when Masika performs the song on that beat that, that Youngberg has given her, Hazelie shows up and tries to rap from the audience her rap over the It's really bad. So that first season, she really got played, and Youngberg was talking about her nose, how big her nose was, and how ugly she was. Second season, she comes back. Youngberg says that Tara Marie sucked his dick in the alley and all kinds of shit. And her and Tara Marie aren't friends. Um, she ends up not coming back for the third season. But the third season, I guess she's running around with Cat Williams. The Guys, remember when Cat Williams was like people were filming him fighting children in the projects? And he looked like high on PCP or something. Like he looked fucked. He looked like in a different world. Like I don't know what he was on. Like he like he was hallucinating. And like a 10 year old whooped his ass. Do you guys remember that shit was on the fucking internet? This is this is when he had a gun. And he was like all kinds of shit was happening. Hazel E was dating him. Along with some other women I guess. Also Cat Williams claims he has like. Six kids he's a single father to. So I'm assuming in the house with these guns and all these fucking drugs are some children somewhere. But so during that, so she's off the show at this time. So she's not on the show. But then she apparently went to Dubai and fell off a camel. I can't remember. But she ends up breaking her nose and getting a nose job. And everyone was lying, saying that that's a lie. She just wanted that big ass nose off of her face. Um, and she comes back and she's like a true villain and like she even like rents a helicopter to do a it's really secondhand embarrassment shit guys it's real bad it's like if you think it's Jen Shaw without the funniness you know what I mean like it's just like eh, cringe all the way and so what happens in 2017 is she's still on the show a little bit and she's on this show with somebody called Rose Burgundy <laughs> as her new man who's younger than her and everyone says he's using her. Well, Rose Burgundy <sighs> There are a lot of rumors that Rose Burgundy was gay or at least bisexual and there were there was a man that was saying that he and he just called him Darnell. Imagine being Darnell and then going to Rose Burgundy. And he did have like Rose dyed hair or whatever. But the man was basically saying that he and Darnell have been in a relationship. And so 
it was showing kind of like receipts and stuff and was it it was giving that Rose Burgundy was at least bisexual but was like a hired boyfriend which is like so typical for these fucking shows you know this is what I mean by Giselle on Real Housewives of the Potomac. Like, sometimes she be playing shit like she's on fucking a VH1 reality show. And I'm like, that's not this. That's not this over here. But um, this really bothered Rose Burgundy um, due to internalized homophobia. This is whether or not he's he's bisexual or gay or whatever. Like, the idea of someone saying that he was gay was so, um, like, terrible to him that he posted on Instagram a picture of a burning LGBT flag and wrote under let me let me just make sure I get it all the way right because this got him fired from the show um like immediately so what he wrote was you really want to know how I feel about gays so bad well, here you go. I hope all gays die and go to hell. That's where I'm coming from, bitch. Check your lives before you post. I'm from Pyru. It's a gang. Um, bitch, I'm 25, not 19. It's Denzel with two L's, bitch. Google me, he wrote. And in the... And I'm... Y'all know that Denzel Washington's name is really Denzel, right? That his daddy's name was Denzel. And that people have been calling him Denzel since he was small to kind of like uh, differentiate from his father who he's named from is Denzel. But his name is pronounced Denzel and he just lets us call him Denzel. So maybe this is Denzel. But anyway, um, and underneath that, uh, in a comment, Hazel E. wrote... Burn in hell, just like God said in the Bible. So that happened. And either before or directly after, I think this was before. So at the time, Hazley was going at it on the show with Jess Hilarious, who's a comedian, and uh, Masika, who she's been like actively feuding with since fucking day one. And so, you know, there's been some back and forth on, um, on, uh, Instagram and Twitter and Hazel E ends up posting this on Instagram. And actually this came first because the feuding back and forth with Jess Hilarious happened. Jess Hilarious like uh, promoted the fact that that guy was saying he slept with Rose Burgundy and it all came like that. This happened first though. So Hazel E wrote <laughs> I see all you black ass bitches that hate me. Stop bleaching your skin and fix the inside first. And maybe all you hoes wouldn't be so mad. Love the skin you in, ladies. It takes a village to take me out. But what y'all fail to realize is that I'm still on top. And none of you bitches will ever, all caps, compare to me and be on my level. I got money in the streets. Anybody looking for a check, hit me up. I'm assuming she's selling drugs. And bitches mad because they couldn't pass the brown paper bag test. I will explain what that is in a minute. Yep, I said it. Back on my business with the United States. With the United Nations. What? Sorry, Mom. You kept me away from these type of girls all my life. You said they would hate me because I'm light-skinned. You were right. Um. So, paper bag test, guys. For I, I know the majority of my audience is not, uh, are not black women. Paper bag test is something that... 
I, w- I almost said old school, but it's not like people still do shit. Is that if you are lighter than a brown paper bag, then you are considered to be uh, good. And if you are darker than one, then that's bad. And it's something that black people did to each other. It's not, it's not an outside racism. It's an internalized racism. And especially when you get to things like, um, Creole people and certain, um, blacks with certain status in places like Atlanta and Louisiana and Texas and, um, what they would do in Alabama, you know, all over what they, what people of lighter skin would do is they would, marry into other with other people of light skin to keep their to keep their families light and beautiful and therefore of importance and this is and this is especially in times in which being lighter meant that you might get jobs better and I mean it's it's still true now but seriously in Jim Crow times being of light skin could get you much further than it would if you were of darker skin. And, but the paper bag test is like one of those things they would do to decide if you could be in sororities, if you could be in social clubs, if you could date certain women or certain men. And it's, it's, it's a racist colorist thing. Um, I don't know what the United Nations thing is. I don't know what that means. <laughs> uh, so she wrote this. And then the gay thing came out where he was wishing all gay people dead. And she was like, well, that's what it says in the Bible. I agree. And she was fired from Love and Hip Hop. Now, she was fired from Love and Hip Hop, like, immediately after this happened. And the network claims that she was meant to be fired already. Like, that they had sent the notice thing she was going to be fired, like, three days prior. Hazelie says when she got the certified letter, it was basically due to this. I'm inclined to believe that Hazel E is telling the truth. And it's because normally when you get fired off of shows for not being good on TV or not having a storyline or not getting enough ratings, they don't send you a letter saying you're now fired because you're lame. They don't. They just don't film with you. They don't bring you back. They don't give you a contract. And it's so that later on, if they need you to like a Kristen or a Jax, like right now where everything's going on with Vanderpump Rules, they can just be like, hey girl, here's a contract. Come on back. That's that's what normally happens. So the fact that she got a certified letter, like I'm like, they terminated their contract with you. That's not the same as you just didn't get picked up for the next season. So this happened in 2017. And after this, Hazel E goes on Ayanla Fix My Life. And where they, she's doing what everyone does on Ayala Fix My Life, rehabilitating their image, trying to, it's like people that go on Tamron Hall, you know, um, but less props and <laughs> trying to like, um, be like, that's not the real me. This is the real me. Um, so that's that's that sets the stage for what we're watching now okay and i know that was a little long and you're like girl i've never but i would say that loving that if i were ranking the love and hip-hops i would rank atlanta hollywood 
That's hard. I would rank Atlanta, New York when it was good. Hollywood, Miami. And towards the latter years, Hollywood was better than Miami. I mean, Hollywood was better than New York sometimes. Did you guys know that I believe the first time anyone said someone was canceled on TV was on Love and Hip Hop? The first time that was used in pop culture was in Love and Hip Hop New York. Daryl Strawberry's daughter had come to New York to be with Cisco. Cisco was a very beige American black man, okay? Very, very light. Very light. Uh, used to wear Bill Cosby sweaters. And he was, he was kind of a lame. He was kind of lame. And he, they've been dating, quote unquote dating in LA. And she had come to New York to be with him. She couldn't live with him. He got her a room somewhere else. Okay. Put y'all together. Okay. And so she had had sex with somebody else or that kissed someone else or something. But he was like, legit, that was not his girlfriend. And they're at a hotel, they're at a, a restaurant and they start to argue. He like flips a table and goes, you canceled. You canceled. It's over. You're done. You're canceled. That is the first time anyone ever this was like, gosh, this might've been 2013. Uh, don't, don't quote me on that year. This is the first time. And I remember you're wrong about did an episode on cancel culture. And I was like, Oh, we're going to find out where cancel really came from. Cause the, I, I really think the first time I heard about a Cisco was saying it in his Bill Cosby sweater to Daryl Strawberry's daughter. Because, oh, another thing is she had a daughter and she didn't tell him. So he, when she be making noise, the daughter be making phone. That's another thing. How y'all dating and he don't know you had a fucking daughter. So when the daughter would be making noises while she, they were on the phone, she would say that was her dog. And the, the kids, the dog's name was like Jasmine or something. She, she said she had a dog named Jasmine. So everybody hated her for that. I don't, I mean, it's stupid. I don't know if I, it's hateable. It's just like, girl, Why? And he just found out about that too. So when you're wrong about said, the first time, it seems like the first, the further back you can track that this being used in a, um, in a media was this. I was like, oh fuck. It really was the first, like they don't have any, they couldn't find any other references to it. And that makes a lot of sense because canceled that, term came out of AAVE like it came out of like black uh pop culture slang and like woke and other things and became twisted into something else once uh the greater public you know got a hold of it and started using it as well anyway so we start with Angela all right Angela is Hazel E's mom. I wonder why she calls herself Hazel E. I mean, it has something to do with her color and and the color of her eyes, uh, I think. But her name, I always thought she was like, I have hazel eyes and my name is Erica because her real name is Erica. But I'm finding out her name is Erica with an A. So why isn't her name Hazel A? I'm not sure. Um, So... We start with Hazel's mom, who says Erica and Hazel are two different types of people, and she doesn't know Hazel. She knows Erica. 
Ayan Larissa tweet or the messages and says that Angela needs to know that a lot of this is going to fall into her lap. It may not what you may not be what you did or what you didn't do, but it may be her perception of it, which I think is something that parents do have to fucking realize. Like it isn't always what you did or didn't do. It's the perception of what you did and didn't do to the child. And that later on, Ayanla like makes Angela practice apologizing. And if you are a parent, like, you could be the best parent in the world. There is no way for you to know what will or won't stick to your kid and what will or won't traumatize. I mean, there's some, like, don't hit them. Like, don't fucking hit them. Don't, like, do shit you have no business doing. But there are other things that, like, you know, when I describe my mom from when I was a kid, it's, I have to go to work. I have to work. I work for a living because I have to go to work. Those other moms don't have to go to work. They can just stay at home. But I'm not me. I have to work for a living. I have to make money. So I'll go to work. So I can take me and my mom got into a fight one time and she was like talking about how all she has to do is work because she has kids and, da, 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 and how she doesn't get child support. Well, she doesn't. My father was in prison. She, My mom never got child support from any of her fathers. Uh, but she also made it sound like the guy I called my dad was my stepdad. She was not been married to him the whole time. And he was also another parent and another contributor to the household and a more steady and made more money than she did. But she would always act like she was a single mother to this day. Like, so my dad is now retired from the military. And then he retired from a state, um, a state, a position with the city government where he lives. And he, uh, finally got his fully disabled designation from, a disability certain disabilities that came from his from his serving in the military and like just things like all his student loans got forgiven and he doesn't pay taxes on his house anymore a bunch of shit it just doesn't happen anymore and he fought really long and hard for that but he but they told him they were like you have to stop working because you will not get your disability payments if you continue to work so he was like so he wanted to work part-time but they were like if you continue to work part-time you will not so he's like, okay, I won't. So he he went on and retired for the second time in his fucking life. And now when my mom talks, she's like, we're on a fixed income, which is not true. My mother still works full time. She's like, oh, you know, I'm the only one. There's only one income in this house. And I was like, I'm like, why are you saying that? That's, he gets a, a military pension, a, a city pension and disability payments. He makes a lot more money than you do based on these things that he that he already has coming in and yet you anytime something happens you're like well there's only one income we're a one income family like but that's how my mom would talk when i was a kid too she talked like she was a single mother which i'm not gonna say she didn't feel like she was a single mother he was in the military he wasn't fucking there and so but his paycheck did go there but she would also often talk like that um and I just remember getting into this fight with her because she was like, I have to work. I have to work. I have to. I have to. Because who's going to do it besides me? I have to work, 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 work. And I was like, it is not my fault that you chose to have sex with and children with unreliable men. I, that is not my fault. Like, I, <laughs> oh, my God. This was one of our big fights. Like, we, we went and it. My dad came home and was like, told me to go in my room and never come out. He told my mom to go in her room. He was like, I don't want to hear from either one of you. Like, everyone stopped speaking. Like, he was 
pissed because we were going and i think my mom had like was trying to encourage me to run away and i was like i'm never running away because you have to take care of me until i turn 18 you have to feed me twice a day why would i run away why would i i'm gonna stay here and watch your cable you're never getting rid of me like I, like we were going lucky at it <laughs> she was like you could just get your stuff and leave if you think you can do it never never i'll be right here and you better have dinner. <laughs> we were having like such a big fucking fight. But I was just tired of hearing about it. I was like, it's not my fucking fault. But I'm sure my mom doesn't remember that f- argument. So we, the thing is, well, she shouldn't have, she, we shouldn't have had that argument, obviously. Neither one of us acted in the way we should have acted. And she was the adult and I was a child. But still, I'll take my part of it. I was a difficult teenager. And she, uh, but like the stuff where my mom talked about working on, I, there's no way she thought that, that that would be like how I remember her for forever. Uh, always like, I can't do this cause I have to work. We can't cause I have to work. Oh, those other mothers can do it. Cause they got to Cause uh, they don't have to work. I have to work. But the truth is that did a huge impression on me for, and, and there is something that I am doing right now. That's going to have a huge impression on my kids, either good or bad. And I, you can do all the gentle parenting you want, baby. You can read all the books. You can do everything fucking right. And it doesn't matter because their experience is their experience. And the one thing I would tell you to learn out of all parenting, like, uh, is to apologize, to listen, to accept. And learn this phrase. I did my best here, but I know my best wasn't good enough. I'm sorry. I hear you. I'm sorry this that happened that way. I, that's not, that wasn't my intention. What can I do now? How can I, how, how, what, how can I, how, how can I handle this moving forward? Learn those tough phrases. Learn to talk to children that way. Because when, you, when my kids are adults, these motherfuckers are going to show up and be like, do you know how you never let us have markers in the house? How, how you would like strip searches for markers when we came home from school that was very traumatizing and i'm gonna be like i did what i could because y'all was little motherfuckers used to just like to draw on the walls and shit and you, what was i supposed to do run around clean up marker all fucking day is that what you wanted me to do okay no that's not what i'm saying i'm like listen guys i am not an easy person to love and I'm, i have like a lot of rules and a lot of regulations for myself um that stem from a lot of things that happened to me when i was a kid and things like drawing on the walls and stuff really freaks me out um, I was about to share a childhood trauma and I'm not going to now. <laughs> you guys don't want to hear that. That will bring down this whole fucking podcast. And so like the drawing on the walls, the smell of crayons in your hand, like trigger me. And so, uh, like, I just, I can't, I can't, I couldn't do those things. And I'm sorry that it made, that it made you feel like you were in a police state and that you had to smuggle crayons into the, I mean, markers into the house. Um, and I just have to take that. I have to take that. That's part of being a parent. You have to learn how to apologize. I promise it'll make your parenting a thousand percent better. If you just figure out how to apologize for not being perfect because you aren't, and there's no way you can't be. You just can't. I'm a yeller, guys. I'm, I, I say motherfucker. Okay. (laughs) And I work really hard at being a good parent, but I'm, I know, I know I'm going to fail at some things. There is no way not to the perception of that child of what happened that they they have a right to and you have to let that you have to like 
accept that. Um, Ayala says that if you want to know the end, you got to go back to the beginning. And Angela goes back. She says that she was pregnant in high school and she got her father made her get married at 17. And then the man she married, Hazel's father, died when he was in a, mo- in a motorcycle crash. Hazel never knew her, but she looks a lot like him. And other people would recognize her based on the fact she looks so much like him. And she, and, which is interesting, that happens with me and my bio dad all the time. Like, prison CEOs recognize me all the time. And my college orientation, uh, a CEO was there with his son orientation and recognized me. And asked me if, like, uh, called my dad's, like, my, my bio dad's, like, full name. I was like, yes, that's my father. And he was like, I work at such and such prison. I was like, and he's old as he. And so, <laughs> except he works in the back at the chair factory. <laughs> um, but also, Hazel has her father's, like, attitude for life. Live, live fast, die young. Um... Ayala makes Angela read Hazel's lyrics. And it's just the pop my butt over and over again and getting lit on Patron. Both Ayala and, Ange- and Angela don't like this and don't think this is singing. And Angela, like, this isn't come from me. To be honest, like, I never listened to a fucking... Besides when she embarrassed herself on the first season of Love & Hip Hop Hollywood, I don't I don't think I've ever heard of a... Uh, of a... Uh, uh, a Hazel Lee song. I know she'd be talking about making them, but I don't, I've never heard one. But I'll say this, depending on the beat, Pop My Butt might be fine. I don't know, like, when it comes to, like, hip-hop and R&B and today's pop music, which is just hip-hop and R&B, like, there's, the only person making pop music that's not hip-hop and R&B is probably Taylor Swift. Maybe. <laughs> that's it. Uh, but, um, I don't know. You can say a lot of shit. You know, Ice Spice out here calling people a munch. Like, you can say a lot of shit. That if you put it over the right beat and you get the right drop at the right time, that shit'll be... <laughs> Cardi B said, long as weave, that be tickling my ass crack. <laughs> I love that fucking song. <laughs> so, like, I, I don't know. Like, I am was what's in her 60s here. Yeah, she don't think this is music. Fine, okay, but I don't think this is the problem. And I and I think that is the problem with this episode is that I know the reason you're doing this episode, Hazel E, is because you just got fired from a reality TV check. Which I'm not saying the girls out on uh, Love and Hip Hop get paid anything good, but I know it's better than what you get paid at the unemployment office. So, and she also lost like some some like brand deals and shit, you know based on this so you know Hazel Lee comes in and says she's happy to be there I almost like shocked she's like why you want to talk to me um Hazel says that everyone thinks she doesn't like brown skin or dark skin women and Ayanla's like well that's what you said and Hazel says that it was a situation those specific women were taunting her so here's the thing though you know I'm a full-on believer because I because I was raised this way that if you get into an argument with somebody you can say whatever you want to at that point like once we're in an argument all oh, the hat the gloves are off right that's the way i was raised that's the way it is like if once i'm mad i can say whatever i want to do you but one of the things i've learned as i've matured is that if someone is in an argument with you and their go-to 
is racist, homophobic, anti-Semitic, sexist, ableist. If if the go if if the response is that, well, you had that in you all the time. You are the girl I always knew you were. Okay, and so if that is the case. You can't say I was just racist because I was mad right then. No, no, you racist. And that came out your fucking pocket. So like Hazel E's like, oh well, I'm a I'm a um I was mad at those specific people, so I said those things. If that's where you go to, that's who you are. Um Ayanla reads the the stuff and tells Hazel that as a woman everything that comes out of her mouth is about other women Hazel says she's seen as a diva and that she hasn't compromised her morals to get what she wants and Ayanla says what do you want that you can get by popping your butt Ayanla is like I really don't care about the popping your butts I do not care about that I do not care who Hazel E pops her butt on what she pops her butt for whether people pay her to pop her butt whether she's popped her butt on many, many men or many women or whatever, I do not care. And and I understand Ayanna is 60 some odd years old and her audience, like, her audience is black people. Like, when Ayanna was on and we'd be on Twitter just, like, the night this came on, people were dying on Twitter. But her audience is uh, usually religious of some sort usually a little older, usually the type of person she's trying to reach is someone who thinks lyrics popping my butt is ruining, is ruining, uh, the world. And I just want to focus on who the fuck you think you are with your open homophobia and racism. You know, I don't care about popping butts. Ayanla wants to know what Hazel would think if she saw Ayanla out there on the internet singing pop my butt. Well, you wouldn't be because it's not your brand. Your brand is fake Afro-spiritualism. That's your brand. Hazel wants to be seen as a fine-ass hoe, as a high-end hoe. That's what she wants to be seen as. This isn't her brand. I I don't... mm, Anyway, let me stop. Let me move on. So Hazel talks about growing up, um, saying that her mother's husband, she, they bleep it out. She's talking about like a stepfather, a husband beat her and her mother. She says that her mother also beat her. Yeah. Like Hazel being like, yeah, he used to hit her and then hit me and she hit me and like the shit was fucked up. Valid. Yeah. You know, off camera, apparently Hazel talked about being sexually violated with production. And on camera, Ayanla asked about it. and But the way she asked about it, she pulls out this tissue box and slaps it down to Hazel. Like she's throwing out a draw for an Uno. It's real like, it was, it's real like, and now for the crying. That, that's really what it came off as. It's fucking weird. Um... Hazel says she wasn't supposed to talk about that. And I'm assuming that her mother told her she said she was five. Two girl babysitters molested her. And later, Ayanla refers to making her perform sexual acts on another little girl. Just horrendous. Um, Her mother told her not to tell anyone. 
But she also did the same thing with her own abuse, uh, her own physical abuse. Uh, Hazel says her mother wanted to maintain the image. She would put on so much makeup and eye stuff to like hide black eyes and busted up lips. And her mother was trying to uphold the image and that Hazel needed to fall in line. And now Hazel does the same thing with maintaining an image. So now Ayamla takes Hazel into her foundation rooms. And let me tell you what it is. It's Ross picture frames with, with the Wikipedia picture of famous black women in history printed out and put on the wall. So we looking at Harry Tubman, Hattie McDaniel, Cicely Tyson, Ruby D. Um, Ayala tells Hazel that they, we would never hear Ruby D call out another black woman out of her name. Baby, Ruby D did not have access to social media when she was in her young chicken head phase. When Ru- Ruby D was a, was a, was a young pigeon. Guess <laughs> remember that song, No Pigeons? <laughs> I shouldn't have been listening bopping to that song, but I was. Anyway, when Ruby D was out here young and dumb and full of cum, she didn't have Twitter. She didn't have Instagram. I actually don't know what Ruby D was like as a woman. The fact that she's in a black and white picture on this thing does not tell me who she is. Like, we don't know any of these fucking women. Not personally. They're icons and historical figures, not people we know. And today's celebrities are D-list celebrities. That's what Hazel E is. Hazel E is like an F-list celebrity. We have every, we know everything they fucking do, everywhere they've been, every thought they fucking had. And so I don't think it's right to compare. I really don't think it's right to compare these things. I really don't. Because I'm sure Josephine Baker was out here doing what the fuck she do. Um, You know, I just... We do not know. So then, um, Ayanla, like two of the names that Ayanla says, Septima Clark and Pearl Bailey, Hazel, he doesn't know who they are. And, and Ayanla's like, and you call yourself an entertainer. It's like, Ayanla, <laughs> babe, calm down. Then she makes Hazel read her pop my butt lyrics to Dorothy Dandridge. Listen. Dorothy Dandridge has been through it. I don't know that she don't she wouldn't like a pop my butt lyric. I really don't fucking know that she wouldn't. And your assumption is very strange. This one time, this white guy I worked with came up to tell he was talking about something about black people knots. I don't know. He I guess he was asking. You know what? This is back when I was teaching myself how to swim. I taught myself how to swim, guys. Uh, not well. I'm not saving anybody, but I can swim a little bit. I, I, I can float and I can, I'm not going to die. Um, and I didn't know how to grow up because my mom is afraid of water and doesn't know how to swim and would not allow me to learn how to swim. And out of all my siblings, I never left my mom in the summer. I was always with my mom. And so they all learned how to swim summers, you know, with relatives or their fathers or my grandparents or something. But I was always with my mom and she did not allow swimming. Like ever, like. Like, if she heard a thump while you're in the shower, she would bust up in that bitch. And you'd be like, damn, it was a soap. And she, cause she was like, you could drown in like a teaspoon of water, which is technically true, but not practically true. Like, anyway. 
Um, so as an adult, I just like, this is like what, five years ago, maybe six years ago, maybe seven. I just start taking myself down to the pool in the afternoons and practicing little things, right? Just little like strokes and like being underwater, opening my eyes and just little things to myself just so I could be like, like more comfortable because until that point, like I was not comfortable with like water running over my face, like in the shower. And I didn't have to be, I'm a black person. Like I don't do that. And so I'm a black woman with black hair. So I don't, I didn't necessarily have to do that. Um, but like I got myself more comfortable with that and I got to the point where I could float and I got to the point where I would like, kind of like just, you know, and I can, I can technically swim. I should go get uh, actual lessons and maybe I will. Right now I've just, I've taken on the book club and I, I um, am now going to like, uh, I'm, I'm taking my Spanish to the next level where I'm actually spending time each week speaking with someone. Like, I just don't have enough time, but like, I should do that. I mean, I don't need to like, and people be like, what if you get, what if, what if something happens and you're in the water? I'm a die, bitch. I'm a die. Why y'all acting like, 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 like I'm expected to live a long time. I, I, I didn't know how, I don't know how I got here. Not really. So, but so I, I, I'd mentioned something like that. And he was like, well, a lot of black people don't know how to swim. And I'm just looking at him like, where is, where are you going with this? Where are you going with this? And he's like, do you know about how they drain the pool? Cause Dorothy Dandridge. And I stopped him. I was like, are you about to tell me the Dorothy Dandridge pool story? Okay, so here's the story. Um, and also, <clears throat> just to be clear, it's possible this story is not true. It's poss- it's possibly a myth. There is no firsthand account of Dorothy telling this story and she had the opportunity to tell the story and she never has. And it basically goes that she was playing a casino in Vegas and uh, they were allowing her to stay there, but which was like unprecedented. But uh, she wasn't allowed in the pool and she stuck her toe in the pool and they drained the pool. It's quite possible this didn't actually happen. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a story about Dorothy Dandridge that's widely believed. Uh, Sammy Davis Jr. definitely swam in a pool at a casino hotel and they, and they drained that bitch. But, and also like she wasn't the first, uh, apparently like uh, Lena Horne had, had issued an ultimatum to Bugsy Siegel to stay at a, like in uh, a non-integrated hotel and, but whatever. Um, the truth is that like, like they, the pool, pool culture is heavily political and heavily, um, based on race. There's a reason about half of black children don't know how to swim. And it has a lot to do with the fact that, we weren't allowed in pools and that once integration began, people were cementing pools up so we couldn't be in them. And that even like, you're going to be like, Oh, in Alabama, no baby everywhere. And that they would build pools in poor white neighborhoods, but not black neighborhoods. And that it was widely believed if a black person was to use the pool, that it was now dirty. And that's why, where that comes from. It's, you know, it's heavily political. But the fact that he doesn't think that I knew, that, like, why, girl? <laughs> <Ugh>! <laughs> the shit I deal with, god damn it. 
But yeah, Dorothy Dandridge out here living a life. Dorothy Dorothy Dandridge had a whole ass fucking life. And I don't know that she wouldn't like a Pop My Butt song. But I guess Ayanla knows. Then she runs over and goes, Do you know what Pop My Butt meant to Harriet Tubman? It meant a whip. And and Harriet Tubman's in heaven going, Girl, why am I in it? Why I gotta be in it? What? Why I got what? What do I got to do with this pop my butt song? She makes Ayala makes uh, Hazel read her lyrics. Everything I want, I have, and I turn up where I'm at. Some lyrics like that to Rosa Parks. They mentioned that Rosa Parks was tired that day, and that's why she didn't. Uh, that's why she refused to get up. I want y'all to stop acting like Rosa Parks randomly walked into Black History and Civil Rights work. Rosa Parks was not tired. She talked about it in her autobiography. Uh, she purposely, she'd been arguing with that bus driver. Y'all talk about Rosa like she was like, today drained me. No. <laughs> it's more complicated than that. And y'all, people talk about Rosa Parks like she was Forrest Gump wandering into historical scenes and or like Rose Nyland, like doop, 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 doop. I don't know what I'm doing here. St. Olaf. Ugh. And also leave her alone. Leave her alone. Like she don't want to hear these lyrics either. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck she was doing. So they sit down and Ayala asked, um, Hazel, what her, when her identities got distorted and, and Hazel says that she has no foundation. She says they would move in the middle of the night to get away from the man that they bleeped out earlier and that they moved a lot and then she felt unstable. She wasn't allowed to say goodbye to people. And they sit down and Ayala asks, well, no, I already have this. Uh, Hazel says her mother taught her about being a woman, saying that her pocketbook, her vagina, her sex was precious and she shouldn't give it to anyone and that that incident really changed everything. Ayanla tells her she reaches for attention because she is unsafe inside. She tells her that each of the women on the wall that they're in front of work from the inside to out and that Hazel works from the outside to in. Again, how the fuck do you know, Ayanla? How do you know you don't know? Ayanla asks about the molestation again and Angela pretend... So when Angela comes in, she's... She is like, when Angela comes in, she's like, she doesn't understand what Hazel's talking about. She's like, when we lived in Denver, we only moved three times. She's naming the place. She's like, we moved up every time. And this is what they mean by perception. Like, I don't know the ages that she was in Denver. They were also, apparently Angela was, in, looks like she was in the Air Force from the pictures. And, but Angela... It's not about what you thought. Angela, you're an adult and you knew when you were moving, right? You knew what you were making decisions. You knew why you were making those decisions. What you would then do was go into Hazel's room, Erica. You go into Erica's room and be like, we have to leave tonight. Like that's the, the perception of those situations are very different. And I am a person that's moved around a lot. My my parents are in the military. We had a, we're a military family and just various other reasons. And the fact that I don't think moving is a traumatic experience has to do with the fact that I did it so much. For most people, moving three times during elementary school would be a huge thing. 
I'm assuming it was elementary school. Even elementary and middle school, they would be huge. You know, I had plenty of experience showing, like I always say, I, like I would just show up and be like, hi, my name is Princess, and I go from there. Because that's, that's all I had. But like, when you don't have that experience, like moving is so fucking hard as a kid. I, I don't understand why Angela is refusing to acknowledge that. Um, yes, I do. But I, I, I'm annoyed that she's refusing to acknowledge that. Um, you know, Ayana interrupts her and tells her that it's the instability is the point in the environment. It doesn't matter that it was three times. Ayanla asks about the molestation. Angela pretends like she doesn't know what they're talking about. Um, Ayan, like, she's just like, like she doesn't remember. And Hazel says the black girls and Ayanla says that they do it because they were black. And Hazel says in my mind, yes. Angela says she may, she may remember. Then she chuckles and says that was for her a long time ago. Babe, this is. This is not how you react to some shit like that. One, you acting like you didn't know. You acting like you and Hazel had you and Hazel had a conversation in which you told her not to bring this up on the show, and then she did. And now you're looking at her like, "Oh, I don't know." She, you're acting weird, okay? And also, it happened to her. She's allowed to talk about it if she wants to. You shouldn't bring it up. This is remember when I talked about the Braxtons. One of the reasons Tamar was so upset was that uh, someone had. One of the sisters, it might have been uh, Tawanda, had told Ayanla's team that Tamar had been molested as a child, and Tamar did not tell them that. And I and and yeah, I'd be mad too. I'd be mad too. Like they're they at that point they've been on TV for years and years and years, and now we're on this show, and nobody told you to don't don't do that. If I want to bring it up, I'll bring it up. And so Angela has no right to be mad at Hazel. For saying it, if that's what Hazel wanted to say, um, you guys know I like on this podcast. I talk a lot about myself. I talk a lot about like you know stories about my life and my experiences. But I draw a line that like I try to talk about my experiences. And if the story I'm about to tell you is about somebody else's experience, I do. I really try not to tell it. Because it's perfectly fine for me to say whatever I want to say about the things I've been through, but telling about how what someone else has been through is a different thing. And Angela is centering herself in this story. She she's acting like Hazel told her business. No, Hazel told her own business. Um, you know. You know, Ayanla ends up, like, basically she's saying that she can't remember that, but she remembers all the places they lived in Denver. And Ayanla calls her out on that. Angela thinks she handled it at the time, but doesn't really remember it. Ayanla starts to yell and throw, like, lyric cards in the air, and that helps Angela remember that she didn't know, that she didn't really know what to do when it happened, but she thought she did what she could. Hazel's just sitting there looking. The truth is, it, 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 it's, it was obviously bungled. You, you didn't do, you, you, uh, you taught her it was, it was, it was a secret and that she was damaged. You taught her that it was more important to keep the secret than to work on making herself feel whole emotionally again. And even now she is speaking her truth and you are acting as if you don't know what the fuck. 
Um, so on day two, Ayanla says that no one wants a D in parenting, but you have to look at the real hard problems. True. Nobody wants a D in parenting, but you don't get to decide what your grade is in parenting. The person you parented does. And that's tough. Um, you're, I see this all the time on the internet, people saying that your relationship with your adult children is your report card for your parenting. What do they think of you? Um, you can't control it. She said, Ayanla says, Angela, that they need to, now they need to address the issues that Hazel doesn't feel heard or affirmed by her. And that the molestation by dark skinned girls has created color issues that Hazel is now acting out. Guys, I do not believe that it's as simple as Hazel Lee was molested by dark skinned girls. I do believe Hazel was light all her life, raised a certain way, um, and experiences internalized color colorism, internalized racism. I don't think that's an easy conversation to have. It's one of the reasons I'm going to talk about Real Housewives of Potomac on this week's bonus episode on the Patreon. Um, Chai is going to come on. We're going to talk. But it's one of the reasons I wish that they had a moderator at the reunion for Potomac because some of this stuff you're out of your depth in, right? So one of the reasons I don't like hearing about race from Meghan Markle, Meghan Markle does, is out of her depth talking about race. She can talk about her experience, but as a white passing woman, her experience is small. It's very unique. But when she talks about race, and I'm not saying that's her fault, right? That She's talking about her own experiences and her own, as a white passing woman, who married into the, what, the most famous family on the planet? The most famous monarchy on the planet? Um, but she is not the person to talk to us about race. She doesn't have a good understanding of it. And neither does Giselle Bryant. Even Candius doesn't... I need to stop calling her that. That's what, <laughs> some YouTuber I watch calls her. Candace um, does it, like nobody on that stage has a has a learned understanding of race. They only know their lived experiences, which I'm not discounting, but and so like as we try to like fucking Giselle and Robin and even Ashley acting like they don't know what colorism is was so hard to fucking watch. Somebody, and apparently Candace wanted a moderator and most of the other girls didn't, which I feel like if Candace wanted a moderator and they didn't, then you should have had a moderator. If one of them wanted one, you should have had one. But it's not just one thing. It's a lifetime of things. It's like the shit we marinate in. I want to be clear that like, much like racism, um... There is a difference between institutionalized racism, systematic racism, and interpersonal racism. That I can be racist against black people, against white people. It is quite possible. There is no way I could ever perform systematic racism, which is the shit that we marinate in, that we swim in every day, that gets into our pores and into the and into our bloodstreams, that affects all systems that we use 
there's no way I can do that. I can, as the person in charge of hiring for a position in a company, decide I will not hire any white people. And that is racism, but it's not systematic racism. And colorism is similar. Uh, colorism is about valuing proximity to whiteness over um, dark skin. And we find it in all sorts of media and it's ingrained in a lot of cultures. It is possible to be colorist against some, be a dark skinned person that's colorist against, well, not even be. It is possible to be colorist against light skinned people. However, systematic colorism is always against darker people. And systematic colorism is bigger than you, bigger than me in the air. And it's a difference between like, it is body shaming to, to talk about someone's body and tell them they are too skinny and taunt them and tell them to eat and tell them like that is, that is body shaming. However, it stacked up next to the fat phobia that we live with every day that is in our, that is systematically prevents fat people from enjoying the same rights and responsibilities and benefits from the system as people who weigh less and who fit the, um, the beauty norms. It is much smaller, less impactful and is not the norm. And so while like, you know, during the Real Housewives of Potomac talk, which by the way, on the bonus episode this week, Chai is going to come on. We're going to talk about the reunion. We're going to wrap up Potomac this season. During that, I saw a lot of tweets about like, all oh, the colorism I've ever seen is dark skin girls making fun of light skin girls and Drake jokes. Yeah, that, you know, technically that is colorism. But you are, you are comparing, I don't know, a knife wound with a gunshot blast. There, there's a big difference. Um, in the two. And I'm not here to argue about whether it's okay for us to make drink jokes. I mean, do what you do. But I am here to say that like, it's important that we ground rules. We, we establish that there is a big difference between systematic colorism and situational or interpersonal colorism. I've been in situations where I've experienced both and baby, they hit different. But like I said, Ayanla is simplifying this because it's a 45 minute show and I've been talking about it for two hours. So let's bring this shit home. Um, Ayanla gets Angela to apologize for getting to Hazel for getting pregnant at 17, for the violence that Hazel was raised around, for the instability, for not feeling safe. She also tells Angela that she wants to hear she wants Angela to hear from her heart, not from her head. And then she brings Hazley in and says that Angela's not there. She's just there to listen. So Hazley comes in wearing a leather beanie, a lace shirt, and leather pants. She looks like Eddie Murphy in The Golden Child. I want the knife. Bring me the <laughs> That movie is so fucking bad. I should do that movie. I should do that movie on this show. I want the knives. Oh my God. She looks like Eddie Murphy. Shit. Ayanla says that Hazel should act as if Angela isn't there. Ayanla says the dark girls that abused her are who she was talking to when she was going off on social media about black women and gays. Okay, sure. Hazel says there is no middle. She'll either hold it in or shut up 
the way she was trained by her mother, she'll black out and explode in violence. To me, that sounds like you don't have the coping skills to deal with uh, that conflict. And what you do is you bury it until you can't bury it anymore. And then it just like spills out and explodes everywhere. Um, Hazel says she doesn't really feel that way about black women and gay. She was just trying to get to these particular people. Again, I have to say, if your go-to is racist, then then you have racism in you. If your go-to... My um husband is half white. His father was Jewish. And it's, it's pretty common knowledge in the family. But somebody found out... Well, someone had found out, like a couple years ago, someone found out like more details and like about it because his father's not a part of his life. And they fight all the time, but so they got into an argument and he, and the person started saying like some, some real weird stuff uh, about my husband's big nose and uh, him basically calling him cheap in some and I was just like babe you so you just you just can't you just you just had this you was waiting you was waiting to do with this shit right you were waiting and you know my my husband you know I'm the fight <laughs> I y'all leave Mr. Curtis alone okay D- don't you want it you don't want it with me do leave Mr. Curtis alone and he's basically like wants me to calm down I'm like you don't see what this says like you don't see what they're leaning towards you don't see what's going on and but to me you always had it in you 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 had it and you just decided to get it out um ayana says that because she was molested and forced to do sexual things to another girl she never got to and she never got to talk about it and that being like the reason her mother got had to get married to a man she didn't love it made her feel like a mistake and that she was silence. She tells her that she gets to be heard about it and she gets to be sad and she gets to tell her truth, which is all true. But I feel like it also like gives her an easy out. That said, I don't, you know, I've, I've talked about Ayanla being like sometimes super hard on people for no reason. And I feel like her being super hard on Hazel would not necessarily be instrumental to making the show and, and, and getting the results she wants. But I think she could have, I think she could have been a little harder on her. Then I only gives Angela some cards that she reads to Hazel. She apologizes to her for making her feel like a mistake. Cause she's not, she apologizes for picking a bad father that Angela didn't know or love for choosing babysitters that didn't keep her safe. In the end, Angela says she feels liberated by saying these things, and Hazel is crying. The last part, um, Ayanla invited some sister friends. Ayanla loves a sister friend moment. Ayanla loves black men, black women bonding, and I do too, to be completely fucking honest. I love it too. But she brings in some women in entertainment. Estelle's one of them. She brings in that girl that, that I always have to be like, that is not Amber Riley. I think her name is Raven something. And some other people, I'm like, does Hazel know these people? Like, why are they ran? She she tells Hazel later that they flew into California to be with her. I'm like, they flew in? How? Why? Do they know? A girl who is not Amber Riley was on uh, Being Mary Jane. And so I'm assuming they're in Atlanta. I mean, was she, was, she, was she filming Being Mary Jane? Are these people on Being Mary Jane? I don't know. Estelle's a singer. Um... 
she, you know, they talk about, you know, colorism being internalized racism, that we used to invalidate each other and ourselves, that we as black people used to invalidate each other and ourselves. They talk about the experience with individualized colorism, which is what I talked about, where, like, colorism is um, about allowing proximity to whiteness to be seen as good and better and valuable. And the further you are on that scale from whiteness to be, to be less than. And, but they talk about internal, like individualized colorism in which like someone with dark skin can be discriminatory uh, towards someone with light skin. And that's what that is. But again, it's not institutionalized. It's not in the fucking water the way colorism is um uh hazel says she has responsibility to all brown girls and to the world and ayanla says she has responsibility to all those wikipedia pictures on the wall and then she says to rosa whose blue veins were shining when she took that seat on the y'all leave rosa parks alone leave her the fuck alone (laughs) by the time the show ends ayanla is calling Hazel Erica again, which means to Ayanla that she's being cured. And she says that Erica is still in contact with her sister women who challenged her to think before she posts on social media, girl. <laughs> so I'm gonna just wrap this up. Did Ayanla fix this life? No. Because Hazel Lee is still okay, so after this show, Hazel we didn't hear a lot from Hazel Lee because she wasn't on any shows. And then she popped up pregnant to some like Netflix rapper, I think. And then he cheated on her. Like, she still posts on social media quite wildly. But did did this reform Hazel's, uh, Hazel's, like, um, image? No. I don't think so. Like, Twitter had a ball the night this came out. They were making so much fucking fun of her. Um... And they were popping their butt all over. Black Twitter was popping their butt, popping their butt all day. Um, I'm really not sure. Like, I I would say no. I was. I, that's what I would say. So I'm sorry. I think she. I think Ayamla has fixed one life, not fixed five. And we'll call uh, Nephi and Solo a tie, uh, uh, a tie because I don't think anybody could have fixed them. But yeah, that's where we're at. And. Guys, this is kind of a long one, but I mean, it's my fault because I spent most of it talking about Desperate Housewives. And (laughs) next week is going to be the end of this season. And I will make an announcement about what next season is. And until then, later. Later.